I just got oddly emotional on the prayer of dedication. <laughs> That's All right. Usually when I get choked up, it, I feel like that means the Holy Spirit's at work, so that's good. We're in a sermon series on the Psalms, and uh, we're sort of using Walter Brueggemann's book, The Spirituality of the Psalms, as a guide. I am, anyway. The book, again, is only about 70 pages long, and it's Brueggemann's attempt to sort of take the best biblical scholarship as it relates to the Psalms but also really make it accessible. So it's very readable and it's geared towards the church. Like how can this help shape our communities and our lives? He's my favorite Old Testament scholar. I would highly recommend any of his books. Like if you're looking for something to help you actually engage the Old Testament well, because it can be a challenge, that Old Testament, lots of violence in there, lots of laws, lots of things I don't quite understand, but Brueggemann is great at sort of helping make sense of it. For him, the Psalms have a structure where some of them are looking at like seasons of life is the way I would describe it. So some of the Psalms are looking at the season of David's life or the life of Israel, right? Or the life of the person writing that particular Psalm. And they're Psalms of orientation. They're, they're times when things seem right, right? So I picture like, like Andy and Drew, like newlyweds, you know, like everything is right in the world, am I right? I'm telling you, it's like orientation, like every day I get to spend it with my best friend, right? Awesome. Orientation. The world seems just and ordered, and there are times like that for me, where this, the, the world seems right, where it is very easy to praise God. But then there are times, and I'm so grateful, we talked about this last Sunday, of disorientation, and that I'm not the only one who goes through that. I'm not grateful for those times necessarily, maybe I should be, but I'm grateful that I'm not the only one. And so the, psalm, the psalmists will get angry with God and be frustrated and like, let's go, help me kill my enemies, Lord, right? I mean, they, there is visceral language about like lament and just disappointment and anger, and we've all gone through those experiences. It is inevitable. Part of why the Psalms are so powerful is no matter how much you try to cling to orientation, things are going to happen in your life that will create disorientation. You cannot stop it. It would be great if I had control over those things. And goodness knows I've tried to control it. But disorientation is real. A loss of a job, right? So Catherine's experiencing this, right? Loss of a loved one. Uh, a move, uh, a sick relative, disorientation. Sadly, these times last longer than I would like. I mean, Scripture talks about periods of disorientation lasting, you know, like 40 years in the desert for Israel with no land, no king, no stability. I don't, 40 years, no thanks, uh, 40 minutes maybe, right? Or... 70 years in exile, right, in the Babylonian exile. I mean, that's a, that's a whole generation or two of disorientation. No temple, no home. Or a few hundred years as slaves in Egypt. Disorientation might last longer than we think. But luckily, today, right, we're going to focus on the Psalms of reorientation, 
when God shows up, when our lives start to get put back on track, when we glimpse hope and light and love, and there's a sense that I'm not at the bottom anymore. I'm on the mend. Psalms of reorientation sort of highlight these phases. So you can see, right, orientation to disorientation and then disorientation to new orientation. So we're going to be looking at that, the second movement. And just like you can't control the plunge down into disorientation, you know, like when COVID hits, and no matter what you thought your world was like, you're disoriented. The whole globe was. And now we're starting to experience reorientation. <laughs> I'm so grateful, right? You can take a trip. You can come and see all of your faces. But I had no control over this. This is how life works. They're seasons. They come and they go. Trying to stop these movements in your life is like trying to stop summer from coming. It's like trying to stop the fall from coming. It's, it's, you can't. And so there's a sense in which I'm trying to figure out what, what cultivating my faith so that I can handle those transitions well would look like. Instead of spending my time futilely trying to stop things I can't control, I want to cultivate a faith that allows me to go through these transitions with integrity and love and courage that I know when pain comes, can I cling to God rather than blaming God? Is there a way for me to do that? And part of it means I probably need to lament and get angry for a while and let that out so that I can heal. So I want to talk a little bit about reorientation today. Uh, the scripture is going to be Psalm 30, and you can, you'll be able to hear it clearly throughout. And there's many, many psalms like this. I exalt you, Lord, because... You pulled me up. You didn't let my enemies celebrate over me. Lord, my God, I cried out to you for help and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from the grave, brought me back to life from among those going down to the pit. You who are faithful to the Lord, sing praises to him. Give thanks to his holy name. His anger lasts only a second, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay all night, but by morning, joy. When I was comfortable, I said, I will never stumble. Orientation, the delusion of like no disorientation, right? Because it pleased you, Lord, you made me a strong mountain. But then you hid your presence. Disorientation. And I was terrified. I cried out to you, Lord. I begged my Lord for mercy. What is to be gained by my spilled blood, by my going down into the pit? Does dust thank you? Does it proclaim, proclaim your faithfulness? Lord, listen and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. And then it happened. You changed my mourning into dancing. You took off my funeral clothes and dressed me up in joy so that my whole being might sing praises to you and never stop. Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Amen. This is reorientation. It is acknowledging the pain. It is acknowledging the times of disorientation that none of us enjoy. And it is giving praise to God's faithfulness to bring us out of these places. And so for those of you stuck in a phase of life, a season of life that's probably lasting too long for your liking, 
feeling distant from God, feeling like lunar spirituality. Like I always want there to be solar spirituality in the light, in the God's presence. But a lot of times I have to practice lunar spirituality where I feel distant or in the dark. And if you've been going through that for a long time, we come together as a community in part to remind ourselves that God has been faithful. Even if you don't feel it right now. God has been faithful to our ancestors and our ancestors' ancestors for millennia, for generations. Just when it looks like God's given up on us, like God's not going to show up, here comes Moses with his rod, right? Just when we think we're never getting back to Jerusalem, the Babylonians are destroyed and Israel's allowed to go back and rebuild. Just when we feel like we can't take this grief any longer, New love, new life blows into our lives. God has been faithful. God continues to be faithful. And God will be faithful into the future. And we have to remind ourselves of that when we don't feel it. Reorientation is around the corner. It just might take longer than I would like or you would like. It feels like Friday, but Sunday's coming. (laughs) Resurrection's coming. New life is coming, right? And this is what Jesus is all about. So I want to look just, I'm literally going to look at one chapter in Matthew. And and there's like five stories in this one chapter. And it's all about this idea of reorientation. Like this just feels like Jesus' ministry. Finding people disenfranchised, in pain, suffering, disoriented, and giving them new life. So do you have the slide? So Matthew chapter 9, just going to look at what this one chapter And you're going to see Jesus' ministry. First, paralyzed man on a mat. Jesus asks him the great question, do you want to be well? And it's a great question because um, we think the answer is obvious. Like, of course I want to be well. But of course, then you have to do something. You want to be well, then you're going to have to have some faith. You're going to have to get up and trust me. How often... Do I reject the help offered me? Because part of me doesn't want to be well, right? So Jesus asks him, and the man says, you bet. And then Jesus is like, your sins are forgiven. Pharisees get all rattled. (laughs) How dare you do that? And then Jesus is like, well, what's more important? The man's spirit, his soul, or his body? And then he's like, okay, you're healed, right? So this person goes from broken, paralyzed, lost, afraid, to both forgiven, which is most important, and healed. That's reorientation. But this is odd, and I'm going to talk about this next Sunday at length. Who experiences disorientation here? The Pharisees. They leave upset. A dude just got forgiven and healed, and they feel uncomfortable about it, unsettled. By what Jesus has done. You're going to see a pattern. The disenfranchised, powerless, are reoriented into new life. And the powerful and the comfortable go from orientation. We control things. And, they, and Jesus moves them to disorientation. Do you see that? The powerful get disoriented by Jesus. And the suffering get reoriented. Then Jesus calls Matthew to be a disciple. Come follow me, tells Matthew. Uh, Matthew, a tax collector, a traitor. 
essentially a Jewish person working for the Roman government to rip off other Jewish people, taking more than their fair share. The fact that Jesus calls both Judas, who's a zealot, and Matthew, a tax collector, and says, we're going to get along, everybody, uh, suggests our communities need to be diverse in our views, theologically, politically, and otherwise, right? Because the disciples had to figure it out. Zealots and tax collectors like enemies. And then Jesus has the audacity to go eat with Matthew and all of his tax collector friends. And who's upset? The Pharisees. How could you come eat with sinners? Why would you be around these people? Look at them. Look at this riffraff of Collister. Why would you ever hang out with these people? And Jesus says, oh, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Of course this is who I came to hang out with and eat with and speak the good news to. They are the ones that need it. So it is the, the, the sinful ones, it is the tax collectors who get reoriented. It is the powerful, those who feel comfortable, who have set the system up, who get disoriented. Then the Pharisees question Jesus about why his disciples don't fast, because they don't follow all the rules. And Jesus says, well, because I'm only here for a short time and we're in celebration mode. They're celebrating the fact that the Messiah is here, right? That's why we're not fasting. Next slide. Then the woman who's been bleeding, you know this story, 12 years. And by bleeding in the Jewish tradition means you're unclean. You can't go to the temple. You are, you, it's like, why, what have you been doing? You've been sinning. Clearly, this is why you have this affliction. And in faith, she reaches out to touch Jesus' cloak as he goes by and is healed. Jesus recognizes it and turns to her and provides like this sense where he sees her, really looks her in the eye, provides that sense of like love. You, your faith has healed you. She is reoriented. She was in a state of pain and suffering for 12 years. And Jesus, it's resurrection. It's new life. And then it ends with two blind men who come and Jesus heals them asks them to keep it quiet. He's not ready to get arrested yet. Um, but once again, it's their family, it's the Pharisees that experience disorientation, but they themselves have been healed and have experienced new life. Jesus is in the business of taking us from places of pain and suffering and marginalization and humanizing us. That's what Jesus does. But I'm just going to warn you, for those that are a little bit too comfortable, a little bit too snug, a little bit too oriented to this world filled with pain and injustice, Jesus' words, discomfort. They challenge. They call us to places of pain. So I want to share a few stories, and then uh, I'll give some some at least for my own life, some practical advice. The first story was sent to me by Kathy, and I'm so grateful, Kathy, for you being willing to share. I asked for stories of reorientation, right? If these really are phases, seasons of our lives, well, then I want to share them. This brings hope to you, right? Like, I'm not the only one. And so Kathy talks about her first marriage and that it was not a good one, right? She got married young, and you have this sense of, like, things are going to be great, and suddenly you're plunged into this horrible situation where you have to live with a person that you don't even feel safe around. You have to live with someone who treats you terribly. Talk about dehumanization. 
in the midst of this, her first husband was court-ordered to AA. And part of that was this suggestion that Kathy go to Al-Anon as a family member, right? And she, talked, she says, ironically, I had to get drug. <laughs> I mean, metaphor, right? I, kicking and screaming like, I do not want to go to Al-Anon. Why should I have to go into some of, the, you know, I just picture the thought, right? I'm not the one with the problem. But in the midst of going to these meetings, she finds this community. She finds healing and hope. She finds strength enough to leave, right? Which I can only imagine disorientation. And now it, with TJ, the love of her life, reorientation. But part of her healing was accepting the gift of Al-Anon, even though reluctantly initially. This is often the road to reorientation. It is to throw our hands up and say, I guess I'll try something. I guess I'll try Al-Anon. I guess I'll, I'll tell my friend. I guess I'll let you, my church community, into my life. This is the road to, to healing. In my own life, I'll, I'll tell you a story uh, I think I may have shared it before. I was 13 years old, so I was my son's age at the time. And uh, my mom was married to a man named Bill. He was my stepdad. But from the time I was seven to the time I was 13, he was dad. So he's the only other person I called dad besides my own father. He taught me how to pitch and was my little league coach. He took us to church, so he was like the first major Christian male figure in my life. And so we were going to church regularly. When I was 13, he was driving me home from basketball practice, and I remember uh, it was like this very bizarre conversation, and he said, tell your mom she looks nice, she came, she got her hair done today, and, and I was like, okay, and then he said, uh, and I'm leaving, like you, you might not see me much anymore, and so I w that's disorientation. Uh, the next day I went to school, and when I came back, he, his stuff was gone. He had left my wife for a co-worker uh, who also had two young children. It was like almost felt like replaced, and I literally did not see him again or hear from him. I eventually like, ran into him in high school at, at like a football game event, which was incredibly uncomfortable. But for six years, he was my dad, and then he was gone, just disoriented. The low point for me, I mean, the most painful part of my childhood was that. Not my parents getting divorced, I have no memory. But that was so painful. And I'm very fortunate. I was young enough. I had friends. Uh, I stayed going to church. For whatever reason, I did not blame God for what he did. I felt like it was obvious that he was mistaken. But what I want to highlight is not necessarily my experience, which was not great, but it was my mom's experience. Because in her mind, she had found the Lord. She had found the love of her life. He was this Christian man who like, was fathering her, or, like parenting her children. And the rug was just whipped out. And I remember she was like devastated. Like my mom is strong, like really strong and very stoic. And she was rocked. And I think that maybe scared me more than anything. Like, she went through a real time of, like, like what, is mom going to be okay? And what's crazy is that through this dark night of my mom's journey, she came out on the other side with some of the strongest faith I've ever seen. 
that she drew so close to God during this time, so close, that he became her pillar. No human. It was God. And now she's like unshakable as a result. Like she experienced reorientation. It took months. I'm sure it took years, and I was just unaware as a teenager. But she came through it. So I want to end with what might you do to experience reorientation, resurrection, new life? Because you can't control it. You can't control when God shows up. You can't control when Moses shows up with the staff. You can't control when Jesus comes around the corner and like spits in the mud and puts stuff on your eyes and you can see. You can't control it. I wish I could, right? You can't. Here's what you can do. You can prepare your heart and you can prepare your mind and you can create a space for God to show up in your life. So here are, here are some things that you might take away. And this is what my mom did. My mom got real silent for a long time. She spent a lot of time journaling and a lot of time praying. She read everything she could get her hands on for people that were experiencing what she was experiencing. She read Christian books. She read scripture. She reached out to people that she trusted and knew and loved, mostly on the phone because they didn't live close. She desperately clung to God in the midst of her anger and her grief and her pain. And by doing that, she opened up the space where God could create new life. So if you're experiencing uh, disorientation, if you're in the midst of that struggle, all I can do is say, draw near to God. Slow your life down and simplify it. Allow yourself to be in quiet and feel that pain. Open spaces for this community and your friends and your family to love on you. Do the hard work to allow God to renew and restore your life. Amen? Because it might feel like Friday, but over and over and over again, we know that Sunday's around the corner. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that you are a God of new life. You are not dead. You are not in the grave. You did not decompose. You are alive, resurrected. And that is the theme of what it means to be human. That we go through times of pain and we go through times of resurrection. And my prayer is that we would do what we can to deeply connect with you to cultivate the kind of faith that knows that even though we don't sense your presence, even though we might be going through the dark night of the soul, if we stay faithful, so will you. And we're grateful that you're a God of new beginnings. Amen. If you would please stand for our closing song.